Nothing like being a little flexible. You know, I kind of think of that uh, in our, uh, this, what we're talking about today, and what it was like back then, you know. Um, I'm sure there was a little bit of, you know, I don't know exactly what to do, and a little bit of awkwardness and a little bit of uncertainty uh, and everything that took place regarding Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus' birth. Um, but sometimes it's just a good reminder for us to think about, you know, things weren't always perfect, you know, and um, but nonetheless, the perfect sinless Son of God came nonetheless. Um, much of the world didn't acknowledge it, um, but and he came in a very humble manner, but nonetheless, he came. And he's coming again. So, I'm going to give you a quick, uh, short message. As one of my professors said, uh, a sermonette in a minute for Christianettes. So, um, uh, so I'm going to make it short and sweet. And uh, and then we're going to um, have uh, take communion and stuff. So, um, this is this title of this message, Jen, is uh, still the greatest story ever told. By Luke, in Luke chapter two, if you want to look in your Bibles, in Luke chapter two. Verses 1 through 11 is our passage that we're going to be looking about. Each of the Gospels presents the Savior in a different light, right? Um, Matthew presents Jesus as the king, traces his lineage through to the fact that he is the rightful king, and traces his uh, line back that way. Mark presents uh, Jesus as the servant. Um, and uh, and there's the humility there of, of servanthood and that he came um, for us in that manner. John presents Jesus as the Son of God. In the beginning, you know, he screams it. He actually is, the, the, the word order in that first verse of John 1, 1 is he's saying, make no mistake, the word that came in the flesh was God, Okay. And he's, he's, he, the way he orders it and the way he writes it uh, is he's making that emphatic point. But Luke presents uh, Jesus as the Son of Man. He paints for us uh, the human aspect of our Savior in vivid detail. Jesus had a birth announcement. Uh, a, a, many, uh, a posse of spectators, you might say, and a nurturing mother who took care of her child. Luke also explains to us that though uh, in his divine nature he was completely different from us, yet in his human nature he shared many commonalities. Remember in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. As we come to this passage in chapter 2 of Luke, he points out some very important details of who our Savior is and what the purpose that he came for. In so doing, uh, Luke, who happens to be a Greek, shows us the Savior didn't just come for the Jews or the elect. He came for all and that he died for all, Okay, that we might know him. So what I want to present to you this morning is not only uh, his pedigree and his presence, but also his purpose. And 
in verses 1 through 5 of Luke chapter 2, it says this. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now Luke begins this story and tells us that this baby that had been born was of the house and lineage of David. He tells us that Jesus was part of the royal line of succession. Okay? Uh, Matthew traces his gospel, as I said, uh, the family tree of Jesus all the way back to David and even farther back to Abraham. But being of the house of David, Joseph was born from Bethlehem. So nonetheless, that's where he had to go. So Caesar Augustus requires this uh, census to be taken and causing Joseph to go back to his homeland and Mary to go with him, right? And so doing, unwittingly, helps fulfill the prophecy given by Micah several hundred years earlier in Micah chapter 5, 2, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Now, Caesar had taken the title Augustus because it is a title with religious nature, and he wanted to make himself to be God. In fact, you see, during this time, there was a development of what they called emperor worship, where the emperor, the Roman emperor, wanted to be worshipped as a divine being. Little did he know, though, that he had uh, a plan to be, a, well, he had a plan to be a god and rule the world. He was sending the one true god in human form to the place of his birth that had been prophesied so many years before, and that he would be given a throne that he would never give up. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, it says, He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So Caesar sends the parents of our Savior back to Bethlehem so that he can be born in, in the hometown of his father David. And there's some spiritual symbolism about him going back to Bethlehem uh, that we need to understand. One is that Bethlehem was known as a place of bread. In fact, it, the word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So God told the children of Israel that as long as they stayed in the land of promise, uh, which included Bethlehem, they would never go without bread. And this bread could only uh, meet their physical needs, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and he said, what? I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. The other thing that we need to notice about Bethlehem is it's regarded as a place of water. You remember in First Chronicles 11, 15, and 17? You do remember, right? Uh, yeah. Um, it says this. It says, "Now three of the thirty captains went down to the rock, to, uh, went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam." And the host of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephim, and David was then in the hold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is at the gate. We know the story, and one of his soldiers went back and got some water and stuff, and what David did. 
But David said, there is a well in Bethlehem filled with precious water that I need to drink from. Now, there is a well in Bethlehem for sure that you and I need to drink from, but that uh, that well is the well of living water, Christ himself, uh, from which Jesus said, he will, you will never thirst again. Now, not only do we under, need to understand his pedigree uh, of the Savior, but we also need to understand the importance of his earthly presence. Jesus is called Mary's firstborn son. There's a couple things that you can point out about that. Uh, in Colossians, you know, um, there's a passage where it talks about that he is the firstborn and talking about his preeminence, his ruler, that he is the king, that, that honor and worship belongs to him. Um, and so what was different about this firstborn son? In Galatians 4.4, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. One of the great points of, of emphasis about the birth of Jesus is that when he was born, that God himself made the arrival upon the earth. God himself, make no mistake, that God was a, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Now you and I may have a little hard time wrapping our finite minds around that, but nonetheless, that is the truth, the reality of who Christ is. And that God himself, when he came in the form of a baby, came to earth himself in that little form. John 1.14 says it this way. It says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I don't think in the manger that I was just thinking about that theme when Jesus was born, and that Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes and stuff, I don't believe that there was an angel, a halo that was glowing above his head. But nonetheless, he was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. Born to what? Die. For you and I. The word that John uses in John 1.14 about, it says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, is the Greek word skenu, which is translated to mean that Jesus pitched his tent among men. There is a passage in the book of Ephesians, I believe chapter 1 or 2, I have to look at it exactly, but it talks about um, God, Christ coming and dwelling in our hearts. And it, it uses the idea of tabernacle, uh, that God comes and wants to live within you, okay? Uh, and I, I would ask you to ask yourself, is that true in your life? Because if it's not, there's no better time than right now to make that right. Um, because Jesus came because without him, we have no hope, right? He is the reason we talked about. You know, we use the themes. I use the themes of Advent this this uh, this month with hope and peace and joy and love. But all those things come from God, and what He did, coming in the form of that little baby, living that sinless life. We know the the, the scene. We talked about the scene of what He happened when He was twelve years old and going to the temple. And then later on in his ministry that he ultimately came and died 
and he dies that sacrificial lamb uh, at the at the time when Passover ha- had happened. And you remember when he was twelve that he would have seen that scene and think about himself one day being in that position. But the word John uses for dwelt, I said here that he pitched his tent among men, and the word is an allusion back to the Old Testament when God would come down among the children of Israel for a limited period of time and and dwell with them. There is only one other place where that noun is used in the New Testament, and that is in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And here in Revelation 21, verse 3, John says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. See, Christ came to provide redemption, but that wasn't the end. You know, it was to be continued, you might say, because there's a promise that he would come again, and when he comes again, his promise is that he will dwell with us for all eternity. And he goes on, and he says things like, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You think about that for a second. What is most important to you in your life and what what stands out in your life as far as what you're holding near and dear? And and realize that that, that cannot be taken away from you if that is Christ and who he should be. Morning guys, no worry about it. It's Will Flex. <laughs> um, but um, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not only was uh, not only was born the Son of God, uh, born as the Son of God, but he was a human being just like us. Luke tells us that Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Now, one of the things, if you look in verses six and seven of chapter two, it says, "And while and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger." because there was no place for them in the end. Now, back in those days, they would have wrapped the children for warmth and for safety and protection, but also to help ensure that their bone grew properly. And, and, uh, and you know, children are made out of rubber. I know my son is living proof of that, um, uh, with him breaking his arm and stuff and everything, and then 30 days later, it's better than it was when he broke it. Um, but uh, but nonetheless, you know they 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 uh, would have wrapped wrapped it to help keep the limb straight and ensure proper growth. But Luke goes on to tell us in chapter two that Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. He lived a human life just like every other human being, uh, save one detail. He was sinless. He was sinless. Don't ever forget that when you are looking at what Christ did and how he interacted and, and the things that you see in a relationship uh, with others that he came encountered with, what he did, he did so without sin. Okay, And you need to remember that Christ did not have a sin nature. Okay, um, Because uh, while he was tempted in all ways like we are and like us in so many respects, humanly speaking, but yet that one key quality that he was sinless and perfect. Jesus left us an example. He left us a better way to live. He invites everyone to follow him 
and walk in his footsteps. And then in verses 8 through 11 of Luke 2, it says this. It says that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, not only does Luke tell us about his pedigree and his presence, but he tells us about his purpose, which is also important. Notice in verse 10 and 11 it says, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The word Savior means deliverer or rescuer. The angels came to the shepherds who were in those days the lowest of the low in the social classification. The shepherds couldn't even go to the temple because they were considered unclean. Okay? And the fact you think about that for a second, a relationship of who the angels went to and told. But these lowly shepherds who were outcast in society. Okay? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're on the outside looking in about things? Well, the, the shepherds surely would. And the fact that Gabriel came and the angels came and announced Christ's birth to them was monumental. We look at that and we read through it and we think we don't give it much thought. But this was something that was transforming in their lives. And the good shepherd has come to gather his flock unto himself. Luke tells us in verse 10 that good uh, that the good tidings are to all people. Again, remember that one of the things that we like uh, that we like in Luke is he he was a Gentile talking to Gentiles saying, Christ, the Messiah, yes, he's of Jewish birth and Jewish lineage, but he is for all people, the Savior for all mankind. The world didn't stop for the birth of this king. Hardly did it recognize. But nonetheless, he came in most humble means, and not even born among the humans, but born among cattle in a stall and laid in a feeding trough might even say. But oh, how fitting for the one who had come to be the sacrificial lamb, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Why did he come? To be the savior of all mankind. Jesus stated his own mission in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. But not only does Luke teach us that Jesus came to be the Savior for all men, but he also teaches us that all men need a Savior. There is not one among us who can make it into eternity with God without having had an encounter with this Savior that was born in Bethlehem. Not one. And I like what I always think of when I think of that. I think of what Walter Martin says: the death rate is still one per person. Okay, so you're going to face this. 
Okay, If you haven't dealt with who Jesus is and what he did and why he came, you need to consider it. Because one day, as it says in Philippians, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Either you do that now and get right and you spend all eternity in glory with him, or else you stand before him in judgment and acknowledging who he is. Um, the song, there's a song that says, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. And the last thing I want to say in, in regards to this message here is the heart of Christmas. The Bible tells us that the real reason to celebrate is the saving grace offered to us through the birth, life, and death of Christ himself. Okay. So we're going to continue in our worship. And like uh, our former Pastor Greg, come up here.